Well, we're going to be in Daniel 4 today, so if you would all head in that direction. Uh, verse 28, so we're going to finish this story. We, we had the story of the, the tree and this dream and, and all of that last week we discussed it. And today we're going to get to the fulfillment of that. And so the title of today's message is Tale of Two Sovereigns. And so we are going to find out who is the true sovereign. I bet you can guess. But maybe not everyone here knows. And so I'm hoping that as we get into this today, you'll come to know who is truly king. And despite what's going around and concerns and worries and anxieties we might have about the direction of our nation, we never have to be afraid because our king is seated on the throne. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you, uh, you've given this to us, Lord, that you've uh, preserved this through the centuries and that uh, it means something today. And so we ask that you'd uh, open our minds to the scriptures, Father, uh, that we've committing uh, right now, Lord, to be obedient to what you call us to as a result of hearing your word, that as a result of coming to church today and being with the believers, singing your praises and hearing your word, we would leave closer to Christ, more like Christ, and be excited and enthusiastic to share your word with others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, beginning verse 28, Daniel 4. If... You don't remember what happened, you weren't here last week, it's online, but I'm not going to spend too much time reviewing. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. This is what happens. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he chooses, whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever." For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing he does according to his will. In the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me, and I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven and all whose works are, sorry, honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways justice and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I mean, it's just so much fun going through these stories because you may be familiar with some of them, you may not be familiar with some of them, but it's just, just a fabulous book, the book of Daniel, and seeing what God has done here. If you recall, we were looking at how exciting it was that this whole chapter began with a testimony. 
that Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm pleased to tell all people everywhere what God has done for me. And then he gets into the whole story of how it all played out. And this is the conclusion to that story. And we find that Nebuchadnezzar is pretty joyous at the end, despite going through some pretty terrible things. And so let's just march through this story and try to figure out what we are to do in light of this great uh, event that took place. It begins with the realization of what had been prophesied. Daniel said, Lord, or my Lord, the king, I, I wish that the dream you had was not about you, maybe one of your enemies, but it is about you. And uh, it's, not, it's not good, you know, you're going to lose your mind. And Nebuchadnezzar obviously probably was troubled by what Daniel said. Again, he put a lot of faith in Daniel. He, he knew Daniel wouldn't let me down. Daniel will tell me this. And Daniel urged him at the end of last week. We said, King, repent. Give to the poor. Take care of others. Take care of the lowly so that you won't be so haughty. You know, take care of those that are in need so that you won't be so proud. And maybe God will hold, withhold this judgment that's coming. Well, I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel's advice. But we know that a time expired 12 months a season expired and what we either are looking at is that God had appointed a period of time that Nebuchadnezzar could repent within or that within that period of time he was a little rattled by this dream and maybe was less proud but the day came when he finally just let it rip he just he just had to go ahead and fall back into his pride you know uh, how often are we like Nebuchadnezzar and we have a warning right? We have a warning. We, we are told, hey, um, if you don't stop going this direction, this will occur. And for a time, right? For a time, we're good, right? For a time, we change our tune. We, we're we're going to be on the straight and narrow. And then that time passes and we fall back either into the same old sin or the same old habits. And, you know, uh, sometimes it's not even sinister. Sometimes it's like, I'm going to eat better this year. And we, January 1st, well, I'll do it January 2nd. January 1st is a party day. You know, we've got a, it's, it's, it's a holiday. We'll start January 2nd. And by January 3rd, you know, it's all out the window, right? Um, never go to the gym in January, you know. Wait till February. It'll be, all the equipment will be open. Uh, <laughs> right? So, you know, sometimes it's not sinister, but sometimes it is. Sometimes we fall into a sin and, and, and we are shaken by the reality of the consequences that are coming. We get caught, Right? We won't do that again. Oh, but addiction is so powerful. Uh, there is a promise God gives. Uh, we find it in Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. If you looked at that as a spiritual law, it should be in the four spiritual law booklet. God has a wonderful plan for your life, and whatever you sow, you will reap. It is a law of Scripture. And we cannot just pretend that that doesn't apply. Well, God will just forgive. No, no, no. He, he has offered forgiveness in Christ. And yet, there are real consequences to sin in this life. And we sometimes are permitted to experience the weight of that consequence. And it's painful. It's tough. But Nebuchadnezzar, maybe he was good for a while. Maybe he just uh, had been given a, a warning and, and he fell right back in. And look at how he did it. He's self-enraptured. Nebuchadnezzar fell for the original sin of pride, right? We have lust. We have anger. We have greed. We have gluttony. Gluttony, I think, is a sin we should talk more about. Uh, not because America's got a weight issue, 
but because gluttony extends to a lot of other things. Yeah, you know, um, gluttony is essentially just feeding yourself an abundance of whatever you want, just over gratification. And, you know, think of what you watch and how much screen time you get. You can actually be guilty of gluttony with your cell phone. You know, so you, we, we've got to think about these sins, but there is the original sin, right? Read, up, read about Lucifer. Read about Satan. Read about the cherub, Ezekiel 28. Read about these stories of those that have fallen, and what is it? I will ascend the Most High. I will become like God. Adam and Eve, look, this fruit, you won't die. You'll become like God. Self-exaltation. Exaltation. That is the original sin, and Nebuchadnezzar falls hard for it. And he probably has more of a reason to fall than you or I. He is emperor of the known world. He has married a lady from a faraway place and built glorious hanging gardens throughout Babylon, hoisted up, and it was one of the seven wonders of the world that he had created. When Alexander the Great comes into Babylon, it's still such a beautiful place that he wants to move his entire empire into Babylon because this is one of the greatest cities ever. And he's sitting there, you can imagine being a little older, he's fought his wars, he's built his projects, and now he's at that point in time where he just wants to enjoy the fruit of his labor, and he says, by my power. Is not great Babylon built. By my majesty, for my majesty, I have done these things. And then the voice comes. Do we ever sound like Nebuchadnezzar? You ever just want to reminisce? It's a little dangerous. The truth is, I want to reminisce about what we have already accomplished today over the last 12 months. We still have a church on a corner. And part of me sometimes wants to say, look at what we did, you know, and pat ourselves on the back and put on my best tie, right? <laughs> be careful. Be careful. We, we have those moments of achievement in our life, but be careful because the devil is on your shoulder to say, well, you did this. We didn't do anything. We've just fallen on our knees and asked God, please help us. Preserve us. Keep us together. And we still don't know if we've made it through but we're just doing the best we can. And, and we're just leaning on his grace. And that is why Christianity is the solution to pride, because we always say, not I, but by the grace of God that worked through me. Right? And so be careful, though, whenever you are falling into that past achievement. I have this degree. I have that award. I used to love going into my grandpa's room. And I, I'm kind of weird because I was like my grandpa. I knew he was a big deal. But I didn't care all that much. I'm, I'm just that youngest of the cousins. So I'm like, whatever, the world's about me. So you guys do. But my sister really would like to go into that room and look at all of his awards. And my grandpa's like, just get a box and throw him in there and bury it, you know, throw it in the ocean. I don't care. That's not, that's not me anymore. He was very much like Paul in, uh, in Philippians. I counted but rubbish that I might gain Christ. And uh, now, sometimes maybe he was a uh, hyperbolic because I, he was pretty proud of those things too. <laughs> But, I mean, he had, I, I won an eagle once. But my grandpa's eagle is bigger than my eagle. Right? <laughs> my eagle was academic. His eagle was, like, for outselling everybody in America, you know. Um, but, you know, we have got to be careful. And I think that he would say those things as really not just to everybody else, but to himself. Because he didn't want to be puffed up and proud. Because if you've ever had a big win, there's a great temptation to take credit for that win. And we've got to give glory to God. The Bible tells us in multiple places that pride, pride will destroy. And as he is saying these things, a voice from heaven comes. He hears the audible voice of God, the kingdom 
has departed from you. And for seven years, you will be punished. You ever have a timeout? Um, Seven-year timeout. We do that in prison. Um, so. It's a pretty good time, though. It's a pretty good. It's a, it's a lengthy period. I know I have said, I just want to hear God's voice audibly. Have you ever? I don't want to hear that audible voice say, the judgment is upon you, right? I remember growing up thinking, oh, if that trumpet would sound. But I also was always afraid that I'd be the one left after it sounded, right? I watched too many Left Behind movies growing up. Sometimes that voice of God is not what we're looking for, okay? Be careful what you wish for. This instance, it is a sound of judgment, and it's a judgment that is sure. No more time. It's over. And so many people are waiting for that trumpet sound. It's like in Malachi. They're saying, oh, if the Messiah would come, it is not a good day when he comes. When the, when the Messiah comes, when Adonai comes to his temple, it will be a day of judgment. And he will drive out the unrighteousness. He will come as a refiner's fire. And that is hot, people. It's not like, yay, the refiner's fire. No, it means he's going to drive out the dross in you and I. Our God, the consuming fire, we're going to stand before that great and powerful all-consuming light, power, energy of God, and are you prepared to enter in to his presence? Judgment is coming. He's going to lose control of his home, his kingdom, and himself for a window of time. And I was just writing this, and I was thinking about it, and I'm like, isn't that interesting? Nebuchadnezzar was God's instrument of judgment against Israel. And he took from Israel exactly what Jeremiah said he would. He took their homeland, dissolved their nation, and he enslaved them. They lost control of themselves. And what does God revisit upon this great vehicle of his judgment? The same judgment. And Jeremiah said it would be for 70 years for the nation, but it's seven years for Nebuchadnezzar. He gets a personal experience of the exile he brought upon God's people because he forgot that it was God who used him for that purpose. And he said, it's all me. Well, then you can become part of the exile yourself. And yet, despite all of this, there's mercy embedded in the judgment. Because at the end of the time, God predicts that you will recognize who's in control, whose dominion and glory it really is about. And so God's wrath will fall, and it will fall for a time. But for those that are his, he will stand ready to forgive and to restore I know that some of you have experienced the consequences of sin in this life. I know I have experienced the consequences of sin in this life, and I'm a Christian. Jesus paid it all, all damn I owe. We sang that last Sunday. So, Lord, why are you allowing me to go through this? I was committing this sin, and I lost my marriage. I was committing this sin, and I lost my children. Remember David? We talked about David, the man after God's own heart. God says, what you did in private will be done to you in public, and your family, a sword will not depart from your family, and the baby will die. Remember the judgment? He repents. Psalm 51, we all love Psalm 51. It's one of the greatest psalms in the Bible, and yet the consequences came. And so we've got to recognize that the judgment is sure. It will come, but it's only for a time. From Bathsheba comes Solomon. David's pride and joy. If you read Chronicles, it's like they, David's got a little Lego temple. He can't, he can't build it. There's blood on his hands. I don't think it's from war. I think it's from the blood of Uriah. I think it's, I think it's that blood. 
And so, but he's ready. He's, he's, he's getting the products. He's getting it ready. And he, he grew up with his, his, his son, and he says, hey, put this over here. This is where we want it. And, and you know, he, was, he was so excited. He never got to see it built. But he had great joy that came as a result of that. The restoration did come. And so perhaps we are experiencing the consequences of our sin now, and the temptation will be to find some way out of it, shortchange God's punishment, try to figure out a way past it. And I think what we're going to learn from this is, one, it's futile. When God has decreed a judgment, it's, it's going to come, and so you, you can't necessarily find an easy way out. But sometimes God is going to use the vehicle of that judgment to bring out greater things. It's one of the things today, you know, we have to be real careful because every now and then we'll have a young lady in the church who's going to have a child. And at one level, we're not happy because maybe that child is not coming into the world the way that God intends. But that's a life. And everybody says, every verse in the Bible says, I knit you together where? In, my, in your mother's womb, right? And we have... Uh, Little John the Baptist in his mother's womb, leaping for joy at the presence of Jesus in his mother's womb, right? And, and so uh, don't try to find an easy way out. You know, this could be inconvenient. This could hurt your college chances. Oh, my goodness, how stupid do we sound? And yet, convenience is the cause to terminate most lives in America. The number one killer is not coronavirus. We just need to be prepared to endure what God has for us and know that there's a period of time. Sanity is exhausted. Nebuchadnezzar's judgment comes with a loss of his mind, the total humiliation. He lives like a cow, probably for seven years, seven-period window, whatever that means. He's exposed to the environment. He's denied basic human hygiene. The greatest man of all is now subhuman. You've made him a little lower than the angels, above the animals. Not Nebuchadnezzar. You've now made him below the animals. This great king. It calls forth what, what the man that used to be admired by all is now a cause for disgust. Right? His hair is all matted and nasty. Seven years without a haircut. He's got fingernail claws. And, I, you know, you, we've seen pictures of that. Where, you know, go to the Guinness Book of World Records. You'll see some fun fingernail pictures. Um, <laughs> He's gross. He's disgusting. This is a guy that I wanted to be, right? Uh, God is doing a work in Nebuchadnezzar. What do we learn from his judgment? We learn that God's justice will come, and we really don't want justice. How many people are calling for justice in America today? Oh, the fools. We want justice, really? That is not going to be a day that you're looking forward to. John 3.18, what we find out is we love John 3.16. God loved the world. He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But John 3.18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We stand in condemnation today. That is the default position. And we pray for God's justice to rain down. Oh, oh I don't want that justice to rain down. I want mercy. Lord Jesus, please bring us mercy. We stand condemned, so what do we do? We must repent and flee from the wrath to come. Turn to Jesus while there is still time. These are Bible verses, people. Receive sacrifice that Christ offers and the forgiveness that he gives because of his love. There is a town that's in Canada, uh, Labrador, Canada, called Wabush. And it was completely isolated. It was this remote town. And finally, the government was able to build a road into the town. But what we find is that there's only one way into town, and there's only one way out of town. 
And the story goes like this. There is a city called Sin. Or if we go to Pilgrim's Progress, Destruction. We all find ourselves born into this city. God has brought a road in to town. There's only one way to get out of the city of destruction, and that is that we return. We turn from the direction we're going, and we get out of town. There's only one way out of judgment, and that's in Christ Jesus. And if you won't take that road, then when the destruction comes, you will be a victim, and you'll receive justice. Nebuchadnezzar then finally recognizes God. So this is terrible, but it's really a short period of time. So, you know, I think Daniel spares us going through too much of the detail and what happened. And um, I mean, the guy's living outside. It rains, he gets rained on. It snows, as it did yesterday at my house. Uh, he gets snowed on, right? This, this, this crazy thing has happened. This guy thinks he's a cow. And what is going on? Well, a period of time will elapse, and he is going to say what God wants him to say, and that is that there is one king. This is the great sovereign. They're going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. We haven't seen a war like this since Egypt. But the question I ask is, the reason we'll re return to him. Let's look at the text here. This is just, at that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Is that a foregone conclusion? We read the story like that's a foregone conclusion. But if you read the Bible, what you find is, if you were going to gamble on whether Nebuchadnezzar would repent at the end of this or curse God and die at the end of this, you would put your money on curse God and die. He's just gone through terrible stuff. His understanding returns, and he's given an opportunity then to respond. What did Pharaoh respond, right? We have times where God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and then Pharaoh, looking at Moses and having the end of the judgment, he says, I'll harden my own heart, and you will not take the Israelites from me. And it's this battle between Pharaoh and God, and Pharaoh refuses to bow his knee before God. How often do we see people who God has spared death, but they come out of a judgment, and they go immediately, and they reject God, they reject the answer that is given in Christ, and they continue on the way. Nebuchadnezzar, I believe, is in heaven, because when his understanding returned, he blessed the Most High God. He blessed the Most High God and said, He's, he is to be praised and honored who lives forever. Well, then he says a prayer. And who knew that Nebuchadnezzar was this great poet? But we have this prayer. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of earth are reputed as nothing he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Notice how many times the word I, me, or my is in that poem. The tune has changed. Him, his, and, <laughs> and him. All right? He, him, and his. There we go. I can get three. All right. What do we find? God is immortal. There's no end to his power. It stretches beyond measly generations. He is incomparable. The greatest men on earth are nothing. The army of heaven yields to his will. Remember, he was going to witness a watcher. One of the holy heavenly angels descends down and gives this judgment in the dream. And he, probably as impressive as he was, maybe it was Michael, maybe it was Gabriel, it's probably Gabriel. Nothing. The army of heaven yields to God, and he's incontestable. He cannot be restrained nor questioned. And we're going to find this in the New Testament. Go to Romans 9. Who can say to him, why did you make me like this? Who are you to question? God. 
we have to have that understanding that God is God, and, and he's free to do as he pleases. Do you know the God of Nebuchadnezzar? Or have you made a God of your own understanding? Maybe a little smaller. Maybe one who uh, is not as mean. Maybe there's no judgment. Maybe there's, you know, sin. Well, sin is all relative, right? We live in a world today that the greatest sin is calling what was always known to be sin, sin. And we are facing kind of a, an upside-down world that we're moving in, and it's just one of those realities that the Bible predicted, so we, we aren't surprised by it, but we are maybe frustrated by it. But how many of us have bought into that? We have a, a, a weaker God, maybe, maybe a God that doesn't care about heaven or eternity, but he's mostly concerned about your wealth and your uh, health today, your well-being. And that's the God that you like, but you don't like the God that would allow you to go through suffering. You don't like the God that would allow terrible things to occur to your family. You don't like the God that would somehow say, in the midst of all this, I'll walk through it with you. But that is the God of the Bible. And somehow we have this mysterious reality that in these terrible and horrible times that you might be persecuted not for anything you've done, but as a witness to the glory of Christ, he'll, he'll be with you. And you can think of Polycarp, burned at the stake. 92 years I have served him, why would I change now? We, we can go down the list of martyrs. And that may come, but that is a God that is not popular. That is a God who is not going to compromise. If, if the sin of the world today is not so important to God, then why did he send Christ to die for it? It means a lot. And the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. God is primarily concerned with himself and bringing honor and glory. The responsive reading, isn't it great that Jesus prayed for you and I? Did you catch that? All right, we have a prayer. You ever wonder what Jesus prays for you? John 17, you'll find out. All right, I pray that you don't take them out of this world, right? but that you'll be with them. And again, and they have brought me glory, Jesus says. Isn't that awesome? He didn't need it but he receives it from us. He is the reason. God is something greater than we often allow him to be. We want him a small God, one we can understand. But I was trying to think it through this, and I was like, okay, he's immortal, he's great, he's awesome. And it reminded me of something that my dad would often do in his office. He would get into a musical mode, and he would watch old videos of, you know, and it would be arranged. My dad liked a lot of types of music. But I remember being in there, and oftentimes I'd have to be, get rolling, and he'd want me to watch some of these. And uh, it was uh, one, the champion of love. And this is this old, uh, cathedrals made it famous, but uh, it's, it was written by Phil Cross. And it's written as a, uh, almost like a boxing story. And I, I grew up in the 80s, and the reason I love my country is because everything good about my country can be solidified in Rocky Three and Four. <laughs> and so, it's true, it's true. Thunderlips is going down, <laughs> Clubber Lang, and of course, uh, our, our great uh, Soviet enemies. But yes, uh, the champion of love, it starts out with, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce him to you. He's clothed in white in the corner, and they're, they're singing this. But the chorus is, his height exceeds the heaven, his weight outweighs the world, his reach reaches everywhere, his age is evermore, he is higher than the highest, greater than the great, no one will ever take his crown away. He's more mighty than the mightiest. He reigns above. 
He's the all-time undisputed, undefeated champion of love. Do you know this God? I mean, I, I hope you do, and I hope you won't leave today. If you, if you don't know him, I hope you won't. The end of the story is restored in a moment. As quickly as it changed, he's restored, probably even quicker. Upon his confession, his reason returns. So he's got a sense of understanding, able to make a decision. God brings him to a place, but then when he confesses who God truly is, it's all restored. And what comes back? His status is restored. He has glory and honor and splendor. And I think that came with a haircut and a nail tripping. Right? His subjects come back. His counselors and nobles return, and of course, they're over others, and they return with their leaders, and his people now are back. And then his sovereignty, his whole kingdom is regained. And then notice this very subtle little word, excellent majesty was added. Right? It's just like Job. God didn't just restore Job's stuff. He gave him better stuff, more stuff. His restoration is always greater than the initial state. God does not leave you in a mediocre way. We're not looking forward to a return to Eden. We're looking forward to a new creation. We're looking forward to a day that the whole heavens will come down to earth and God will be with man. And in that day, we will be restored and remade, recreated in a way that is glory. When the time of restoration comes, it will be greater. Remember what Joel says, I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, and ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied in the praise of the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. We're going to see the past saints. I can't wait to ask Nebuchadnezzar about this story. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be there. I think that he had a genuine conversion, and I think he's going to be there. You know, uh, John Dunn's got a poem that says, Here in this world, he bids us come. There in the next, he shall bid us welcome. It ends with resolution. The final statement harkens back to the opening testimony. After recounting the return of glory, he gives all glory back to the king. Again, he does say, I got my stuff back, me, my. But now it's in a proper understanding. God doesn't say that you can't have stuff and that you can't care about how you're doing. God's going to take care of your needs, but we worry about ourselves a little bit too much. But we can care about our own selves in light of him. And as long as we were in proper recognition of who he is and who we are, God's going to bless. But he ends it again. As he gave a testimony, he closes with a testimony. He proclaims God's worth with participles, which is usually translated kind of as a single time. But the word it would be more like an ing type word in English. So what, what we have is, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor. But really what it is saying is praising and extolling and honoring the king of heaven. It is not stopping. This is not the end to my praise. This is the beginning of a never-ending praise. And so he ponders the works of God. He is the one who brings truth and justice. And I'm a victim of God's justice, but I'm also a recipient of his mercy. And he pronounces God away. He puts down the proud. Now, again, he, he only, he's still a pagan king. You know, he's just converting. He doesn't know it all. He ends with, he puts down those who walk in pride. But we know from James that there's a second part to that proverb. He gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so we end the toppled tree and the tale of two sovereigns with one king overall, the one who is the owner of the heavens, not stretching to reach the heavens, the one who created the heavens. And we end with that great decree. It just brought me back to 1 Timothy 1.17. Now unto the king, 
eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I'd like to invite you to come to know the true king of kings, the one who holds the heavens in his hands and yet will stoop to dry your tears. And you know, I think that it's interesting that we get to Revelation 21 and it says that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. We might have some sorrow. We might be overwhelmed with joy. I don't know. But it's a great picture, isn't it, that God has just established a new creation on the earth and he's going to come down and he's going to comfort us. Maybe we'll be a little sad about who's not there with us. I don't know. But God is going to stoop and wipe the tears from our eyes. He restores the broken, forgives the sinner. Are you resolved like Nebuchadnezzar to praise this king? If you would like to do that, then I would invite you to pray with me. The Bible says that this king that Nebuchadnezzar got to know through a dream and an experience actually became a person and that he lived a sinless life. He lived a life that God was pleased with all of his days. And yet, despite that, it's in this song, he came down to our arena and he fought the battle for me. And yet an angry mob crucified him and I saw my champion going down. But I will never count him out, it says, because he rose to victory and he's the all-time undisputed champion of love. Jesus Christ lived the sinless life, died voluntarily on a cross. No one takes his life. He gives it freely. And he commended his spirit unto the Father. But in that death, he took the weight of your sin and mine and all sin for all eternity on his shoulders and he killed it in his body. So that if you would accept his lordship of your life, the true king, his lordship, and ask him for that forgiveness, he will give it to you and you will be saved. Saved from your sin and saved from the horrible fate of those that are enemies of God in the next life. And so if you would like to know this Jesus, all he says you have to do is put your trust and faith in him. And I invite you to do that with me. If you'll pray with me now. Heavenly Father, I admit I'm a sinner. I have broken your law. I have done it willingly. And I am sorry. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me. Make me into the one you want me to be. Amen. If you said that prayer and you meant it from your heart, the Bible says it says it's that simple that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I hope that you will follow what Christ said. You just called him Lord. Please consider following him in baptism because that's what he orders you to do when you give your life to him. And then continue to grow in him and come to know him and praising and extolling and honoring him all your days.